Well, it is great to hear from Tom and Sheila this morning, and for years now, I have really appreciated how they have made sacrifices so that the people in Guatemala could hear the message of Jesus. And, you know, sacrifice is kind of a theme for today, since it is Veterans Day. Um, You may have heard that Veterans Day originally began as a holiday to commemorate the ending of World War I. And that war ended 100 years ago today. I've shared before that my grandfather, my dad's dad, was a veteran of World War I. And that war had a devastating impact, not only on my grandfather, but also on my dad's whole family. But I know that many sacrifices have been made by those who have served and defended our freedom. And it's certainly appropriate that we would stop and show gratitude for all of them. Ultimately, the willingness to sacrifice reminds us of Jesus. That's at the core of who Jesus is. But now, the opposite of sacrifice is living a life that is all about me. And if we're not careful, anyone can drift into a me-focused kind of life. But that's not how God calls us to live, and that's certainly not what we want to see in the church. Earlier this week, we found a video that describes an imaginary place called Me Church. So uh, we wanted to share this with you. Let's watch it together. Imagine a church where every member is passionately, wholeheartedly, and recklessly calling the shots. I don't know who sets the worship center temperature, but why does it have to be so cold? Why do you have to be so right? Heated chairs are now being installed. This one wants a small church, but I'm afraid if it's too small, they're gonna make me volunteer like crazy. And I don't stack chairs, (laughs) do I? Makes total sense. Join now and we'll let you decide the size of our church. Parking is horrible. It takes me almost six minutes to get from my car to the building. It's going to take me six seconds to tell you a valet service is on the way. Hey, I'd like this sermon to be no longer than 30 minutes. How does 15 minutes sound? Hey, anybody willing to go to 15 should be willing to go to 10. (laughs) You drive a hard bargain. But from now on, five-minute sermons it is. (laughs) Now you're talking. Me, church, where it's all about you. All right. You know, that video made me laugh the first time I saw it, but the truth is, I can relate to that feeling of wanting everything to be just how I like it. And the truth is, we all have this desire inside of us. We all have preferences in just about every category. We like certain kinds of foods, not others. We like certain kinds of music, not others. And and yes, we do like a room to be a certain temperature. Um, We also bring our preferences when we come to church. But we are reasonable people, right? And we all know that it is impossible for everyone to get everything exactly how they like it. In the end, though, decisions still have to be made. So who gets to do that? And what's the basis for making those decisions. Every church has to deal with this issue, and and we're going to deal with it this morning. We're in the second week of our series called Why Church? 
And in this series, we're taking a look at the church as God designed it to be. And even though some people have given up on church, and even though some people have a bad taste in their mouth because of churches who have uh, gotten away from doing things God's way, the church is still God's idea. And it's still possible to go back to Scripture and follow the pattern that God laid out for the church. So that's what we're trying to do here. And this morning, we're going to answer the question, who is the church for? And if we come up with a clear answer to that question, we'll have a basis for how we make decisions. For example, if the church is all about me, then I get to have everything my way. If the church is all about you, then you get to have everything your way. But we know from Scripture that the church is not all about me and the church is not all about you. So let's start figuring out who this is for. The first thing we need to do is review a couple of basic ideas from last week. If you weren't here, we started out by defining what the church is. The church is not a building and it's not a place. The church is the community of people who are genuine followers of Christ. If you haven't really put your faith in Jesus, if you haven't devoted yourself to following Him, you're not a part of the church yet. But if you are a follower of Christ, you have joined a group that's been set apart by God in order to accomplish His purpose. And we talked about the purpose of the church last Sunday as well. Some of you may remember this. The purpose of the church comes in two parts. First is to display God's glory here on earth. And second is to be used by God to share His goodness with humanity. So there you go. We have a definition for the church, what it is, and we have the purpose of the church, why it exists. And those statements are good, but they're still a little bit general. That's why we need to address our question for today. Who is this for? For instance, why do we get together on Sunday mornings and have a worship service like this? What's the point of this time that we have every week? Are, are we doing this because it's encouraging to those of us who are already Christians? Or do we have a worship service in order to share the message of Jesus with those who don't have a relationship with Him? Or do we have a service like this because it's a chance to worship God and praise Him? This is one of those times where I'd love to go around and hear from each one of you because I'm sure we'd get a lot of different perspectives. In fact, over the years, uh, I've heard lots of church people disagree on who the worship service is for. But like I say on a regular basis, personal opinions aren't the important thing here. God's Word has the final say. So what do we see in the Bible? Well, with our big question this morning, it's kind of interesting. Uh, this time, I have a three-part answer to give you. If you want to know who the church is for, you have to start here. The church is ultimately for God, to bring Him glory. That's the big picture that we always need to keep in mind. That's the reason that you and I were created. Uh, we are here to bring glory to God. That's true for us as individuals, and it's also true for the church. Look at Romans chapter 15, starting with verse 5. The Apostle Paul is writing to the church here, and he says, May the God who gives endurance and encouragement give you the same attitude of mind toward each other that Christ Jesus had, so that with one mind and one voice you may glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, if you are like me, 
I had to read those verses uh, several times before they made sense. I don't know if it's helpful for you to know this, but even though I'm a preacher, I will often read something in the Bible and I'll be like, what did I just read? That sounded like a bunch of random words to me. But then I back up and I slow down and I eventually start to understand the point of the passage. And here, Paul is praying that the church will glorify God. But what does that mean exactly? Well, Paul is basically saying, hey, church, I am praying that you will come together as one body, that you will set aside your differences and you will be united in Christ. And once that happens, I'm praying that you will send a clear message that our God is for real and that our God is is the highest king of all kings. There is no one higher than our God. So that's a basic idea, but I think we can still be a little fuzzy about what it means to glorify God. So I want to share an illustration that may help us out. Uh, Around a week ago, I heard about this invention that is extremely cool. It's a drone that you can get inside and fly around in. And it's actually being called a flying sports car, and it was taken for a successful test flight back in September of this year. It has 16 different rotary motors. It can carry 220 pounds up to a height of about 20 feet in the air. It's designed so that even if a couple motors fail, it it can still fly just fine. It clocks in at a top speed of 37 miles an hour, and it's being considered as a possible solution to traffic problems for big cities. And if you get a chance, you should go watch a video of this thing flying because it is smooth and graceful and I may have to ask for one for Christmas. (laughs) But why am I talking about this flying sports car? Well, I'll tell you. When I saw this invention, you know what I got curious about? I started thinking, who's behind this idea? Who came up with that design? Who was able to pull that off? In case you're wondering too, the inventor is a man named Kix Mendiola. He's from the Philippines. But here's the point of all this. Because I was impressed with the design, I was also impressed with the designer. Because I was impressed with the invention, I was also impressed with the inventor. So you see the connection here? If your life has been changed by Jesus, if you are living a different kind of life because His Spirit is working inside of you, then you are helping others see that Jesus is for real, that His power is real. And if we at Plum Creek are becoming the church that God wants us to be, we will inevitably point others to Him. By the way we live, by the way we function, we can literally bring glory to God. That's exactly the message that Jesus was communicating over in Matthew chapter 5. Jesus was talking to his disciples here, and he said, You are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand, and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, listen to this, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. See how that works? And, and there's something very important we have to notice in these words. Jesus did not say, let your light shine before others so that they'll see your good deeds and be impressed with you. No, we don't exist to bring glory to ourselves. We exist to bring glory to God. 
I was just talking about this at our Discover lunch last Sunday. I said, when someone visits Plum Creek for the first time, I don't want them to leave talking about some musician or singer or teacher or preacher or any human being. I want them to say, wow, there is something real and something powerful going on here. And I may need to look into this Jesus they're singing and talking about. I'm serious about this. The, the goal is not for some outsider to walk in and say, hey, this band is really good. I want to come back next week to hear this band. No, my prayer is that outsiders would look around as we are worshiping God together and, and say, you know what? I think these people really mean the words that they're singing. I think they really believe this stuff. And see, we don't have to have any musical talent to send that message. We just need to worship God in spirit and in truth. And this principle goes far beyond the worship service. People should be able to look at Christians in our jobs or in our homes, and and they should come away with a higher view of God. When I saw that flying sports car, I had immediate respect for whoever invented it. And it's the same thing here. When the church is working right people will come away being more impressed with God. So that's where we have to start. The church is for God. That's why we're here. And we should make decisions based on what will glorify God. But we can't quite leave it at that. As we read through the New Testament, we see that the church is also for two other groups. I'll go ahead and share both of those with you. On the one hand, the church is for its members. On the other hand, though, the church is also for those who aren't members yet. And obviously, we need to explain how this works in a practical way. How can you exist for those on the inside and those on the outside at the same time? Well, we're going to get to that. But we have to address something else first, and it's kind of a sticky question. How do you determine who a member actually is? In other words, How do you know who is really a part of the church? In a way, we answered that question with our definition of the church. Remember that? Let's put that back up on the screen. The church is the community of people who are genuine followers of Christ. And you can look at that definition in two ways. There's the broad view of the global church, everybody who belongs to Jesus worldwide. And there's also the narrow view of a local church, a place like Plum Creek. But there's one word in our definition that makes things a little tricky. You know what it is? It's the word genuine. When we use that word, we're implying that at least some people are not genuine followers of Christ. And who would those people be? Well, that's difficult to say, isn't it? So should we just assume that everyone who claims to be a Christian is truly a Christian? No, we shouldn't assume that. Or should we assume that everyone who goes to church is truly a member of the church as God sees it? No, we shouldn't assume that either. In fact, there may be entire congregations that God would not include as a part of His church. Theologians talk about the difference between the visible and invisible church, and I think this terminology is helpful. There is such a thing as the invisible church. That would be the church as only God sees it. That would be everyone across the world who is in a saving relationship with Jesus. That's the invisible church. 
But the visible church is different. The, the visible church is what we see from our perspective. So that would be any group that gets together and calls themselves a church. Now, I would say in order to be an authentic church, you would have to meet at least a couple basic requirements. For instance, a church would have to preach the Bible as the true Word of God, and they would also have to preach the gospel, that everyone is a sinner who needs to be saved, and that salvation only comes by the grace of God through faith in Jesus. But even if you go by those basic requirements, you can't assume that everyone who attends an authentic, visible church is actually a member of the invisible church. And why is that? Well, for one thing, in the average church gathering, you always have people who haven't given their lives to Jesus yet. And by the way, that, that's a good thing. We love to have people at Plum Creek who are still trying to figure out where they stand with Christ. But then you also have people who hang around church, but they're just playing a game. Uh, the, these people may show up and act like they're sincere, but their hearts tell a different story. And that's the thing. Only God sees the heart. That means only God can distinguish who in the visible church is actually part of the invisible church. And I mention this because some people have turned against church based on the actions of others who may not even be part of the church from God's perspective. In 2 Timothy chapter 2, the Apostle Paul is talking about people who have departed from God's truth. And he says, yes, some people in the church are not genuine. And then he writes, nevertheless... God's solid foundation stands firm, sealed with this inscription, the Lord knows those who are His, and everyone who confesses the name of the Lord must turn away from wickedness. So, only the Lord knows those who are His, although Jesus did tell us that we can make an educated guess by looking at a person's fruit, and by looking at how they live. At the end of the day, though, only God can accurately identify who in this world is a member of His church. So I wanted to stop and make that point, but now we need to go back to our list. We said that in one way the church is for its members, but in another way it's also for non-members. So how does that work? Well, first let's look at that inward purpose. There's a way in which the church is for its members, and the purpose is to build each other up in Christ and we draw that conclusion from many, many instructions in the New Testament. For example, look at 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 11, where Paul says this to Christians. He says, therefore, encourage one another and build each other up, just as, in fact, you are doing. So what does it mean to build each other up? Well, we could say it's kind of the opposite of tearing each other down, but what we mean here is more than just being kind or nice to each other or cheering each other on. The, the church should be an environment where everyone is constantly taking their next step closer to Jesus, growing to know Him better, uh, growing to, to be more like Him. That's what it means to be built up. And, and the church should be a place, a, a community where discipleship is constantly happening. Now, discipleship is a word we use a lot around here. It's a word that just refers to following Jesus. Discipleship is about becoming an apprentice of Jesus and, and learning to live and to love just like He did. And I will admit, that goal can be pretty overwhelming. But that's part of the point here. None of us can grow to become like Jesus by our own willpower. 
We can't do this by ourselves. First, we need the power of God's Holy Spirit working inside of us. And second, we need the encouragement that comes from other believers in the church. We need to build each other up. That's why you see so many one another commands in the New Testament. I've mentioned this before. There are over 50 commands in Scripture explaining how we as the church should relate to each other. A great example is what Jesus says to his followers in John chapter 13. He says, a new command I give you, love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. And by this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. Now, the world talks about love all the time in kind of a generic sense. But Jesus is not talking about the world's kind of love here. Jesus is very specific. He says, as I have loved you, that's how you must love one another. And we touched on this a little bit last week, but let's ask this again. What does the love of Jesus look like? There are lots of things we could say, but today I want to point out that Jesus shows us mercy and grace. Instead of giving us the bad treatment that we do deserve, He gives us the good things that we don't deserve, like forgiveness and salvation. Now, take that mindset into the church setting, and let's imagine that someone in the church has done you wrong in some way, and let's imagine that they truly deserve some kind of payback, or at the very least, they deserve a cold shoulder. If we love one another as Jesus loved us, what's the next move? Well, our next move would be to offer mercy and grace, even though the other person doesn't deserve it. Because that's exactly what Jesus did for us. That's why Ephesians 4.32 says, Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ God forgave you. Now, you might say, well, hey, doesn't that put me at risk? Doesn't that leave me vulnerable if I'm willing to, to forgive people all the time and give them what they don't deserve? In a way, yes just like God leaves himself vulnerable when he shows us grace. Now, let's be clear. If someone in the church is bringing harm to the body, the leadership has a God-given responsibility to deal with it. That behavior can't be allowed to continue. However, at the end of the day, we still need to be willing to forgive each other because when you show me grace, even though I don't deserve it, you are literally showing me the love of Jesus. And you know how that makes me want to respond? Your love inspires me to give you the same love in return. And in that way, I will grow to become more like Jesus. And that's just one example of how we can build each other up in the church. In lots of different ways, God uses the members of the church to help each other grow, to become more like Jesus. That's what God wants to see in His church. But why does he want that? Why is it so important for Christians to become more like Jesus? Well, we mentioned one reason already. It's to bring glory to God, right? Think about what happens when a church like Plum Creek is full of people who actually resemble Jesus. What what happens when we grow beyond the world's kind of love and we approach each other with the love of Christ? Well, it's going to be a lot like that flying sports car, isn't it? 
It's going to be impressive. The, the, the world looks at us and they see something amazing. They see a supernatural love, a supernatural unity. And, and they'll be saying, how is that possible? How, how are they treating each other that way? It's like Jesus said, by this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. So that's one thing. The more we resemble Jesus, the more glory we bring to God. But there's a second reason that we need to grow and become like Jesus. We need to be equipped and built up because God has given the church a very important mission. We got a job to do. And that's the third part of our big question today. The church is for those who aren't yet members to lead them to Christ. Now, if you've been coming to Plum Creek for a while, you may feel like we talk about our mission a lot. But that is very much intentional because churches often forget or just ignore the mission that God gave us. And that makes sense in a way because we're just human and we naturally drift toward thinking about ourselves. Now that's why that Me Church video has a ring of truth to it. Our thoughts gravitate to what we want to get out of church. We start thinking, I like this, but I don't like that. I want this, but I don't want that. And if we allow ourselves to do just what comes naturally, we'll keep thinking about ourselves and we'll become very inwardly focused. And many churches have done exactly that. But it's hard for me to state this strongly enough. The mission of the church is directed to those who aren't members yet. This is one of the primary goals of discipleship. Remember, discipleship is, is following Jesus, becoming more like Jesus, and if we're becoming more like him, his mission becomes our mission. Jesus stated his mission very clearly over in Luke chapter 19, where he said, For the Son of Man, that's Jesus, came to seek and to save the lost. That's why he came into this world. Jesus didn't sit back and wait for us to go to him. He went out of his way, far, far out of his way to come and find us. It's the picture of that shepherd who left the 99 sheep in order to find the one lost sheep. And you were that lost sheep. I was that lost sheep. He came to find us. And if you have a life-changing relationship with Jesus today, you have been found. And you've received this great gift. You were able to come home to God. You've received salvation and forgiveness and eternal life. Jesus came on a rescue mission, and for all of us who are a part of the church today, his mission was successful. But for those of us who have been found, what's next? Should we glorify God and, and praise him and thank him for everything he's done? Sure. Should we encourage and build up our brothers and sisters who have also been found? Yes, of course. But should we as a church sit back and enjoy our blessings and, and just bask in the glory of our foundness? Absolutely not. The mission of Jesus becomes our mission. Found people, find people. And as we become more like Jesus, we start to see the world as he sees it. And we start to care for lost people just like he does and before long, we start to see the urgency of the job that's still ahead of us. Millions and even billions of people today do not have a relationship with Jesus. And if those people die tonight 
And as we heard earlier, many of them will. They will spend eternity separated from Christ. And we can't adopt the world's opinions and ideas about life after death. The world likes to think that everybody's going to be just fine after we die. Either we'll all be in heaven or we'll all just evaporate into nothingness. But that's not what Scripture says. God's Word tells us that heaven is definitely real, but hell is also real. And the only way to heaven is through Jesus. He is the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through Him. So just like Jesus came into this world on that rescue mission, the church continues on today with that same mission. The church is the body of Christ on earth, which means he's calling on us to do his work in this world. Now we talked a little last week about the church as the body of Christ, and we read from 1 Corinthians chapter 12, which says that every part of the body has a vital role to play, and it doesn't matter if you are an eye or an ear or a hand or a foot, it doesn't matter what your particular role may be, if you are a part of the body of Christ, you have been called by God to participate in the mission of leading people to a life-changing relationship with Jesus. So if someone were to ask you how you are helping the church accomplish its mission, you should be ready to answer immediately. Maybe you would mention the pray for one challenge that we've given several times here. And maybe you would say, I know who my one is. I have a friend who doesn't know Jesus and I am praying for him every single day. And I'm asking that God will give me opportunities to show his love. But there are so many ways to pursue this mission. Maybe you would say, I'm on the greeting team here at Plum Creek, and, and I really do my best to make people feel welcome the first time they visit so that they'll be more likely to return and hear more about Jesus. If so, that's great. Maybe you would say, God has given me a heart for, for people in other parts of the world where there aren't many Christians yet. And I'm praying for Plum Creek's missionary partners, and I'm looking for ways to get more actively involved in taking the good news of Jesus where it's most needed. If so, that's great. But let's not forget, every member of the church has a role to play here. That's what we want to communicate with the Body of Christ mural that we're redesigning right now. If you are a member of Plum Creek, we want your photo to be up on that wall as a reminder that you are a vital part of the body and God has placed an important calling on your life. So, there's the three-part answer to our question for today. Who is the church for? First, it's for God to bring Him glory. Second, it's for the members of the church to, to build each other up in Christ. But then, we also exist for those who aren't yet members to, to lead them to Christ. And I would tell you, based on the teaching of Scripture, if a church is dropping the ball in any one of those three areas, that church is seriously compromising God's design. So we should take this opportunity to ask ourselves as a church here at Plum Creek, how are we doing? Do people encounter us and then walk away more impressed with God? Are we bringing Him glory? And in our relationships with each other, have we grown beyond just niceness? Are, are we showing that supernatural love of Christ to each other? And then are we engaged in the mission of Christ the way He's calling us to be? 
you know, in order to answer those questions about the church, I first have to answer those questions about myself. Am I bringing glory to God in my life? And am I building up my brothers and sisters here at Plum Creek? And am I reaching out to those lost people who need to be found? We don't have time to get caught up trying to make this about ourselves. That's not what it's about. We know who the church is for. It's time to live out that purpose. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for who you are and for the glory that, that you deserve. Lord, we want to, to worship you uh, in spirit and in truth. Lord, I also thank you for your idea of church because uh, we are so much in need of you and your power and we're also in need of others who walk with us and encourage us and, and build us up. So Lord, I pray that here at Plum Creek, we will be the church that you've called us to be and we'll fulfill the purpose that you've laid out for us and we'll be effective at this mission that you've given us. But we know, God, that we can't do this on our own strength. We need you. We need your spirit working in us. So that's what we pray for, Lord, today. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen.